The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the state of stocks after the best week of the year for your money. We'll ask the investment committee what happens now and whether there's enough momentum to keep the major averages climbing. Joining me for the week or for the hour, maybe for the week, Bryn Talkington, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova. Let's check the major averages. We are, uh, well, picking up a little bit. Uh, there's the Dow's good for about 60 points. S&P 500 is a marginal winner today, as is the NASDAQ. Ten-year note yield, 464. So given all that, Joe, uh, best week of the year, you know, uh, bond yields really plummeted last week, and that was a, a big part of the story. It went four for three and a half for four or four for four, depending on how you want to look at it. What now? I think that's what everybody wants to know. What now? Yeah, bond yields peaked just as CFTC data suggested that hedge funds increased their leverage positioning short treasuries to the highest level since 2006. So I think that uh, that without question contributed uh, to the pullback that you're seeing in rates and the positive effect on the equity market itself. The equity market, Scott, went from being deeply oversold to now being deeply overbought. And that's, that's exa exactly where we are right now. Um, I, I will say this about today. There, there does not seem to be the sense of urgency, if you would call it that, to be selling, uh, to work off some of those overbought conditions. And I also think focusing on the Russell and focusing on some other areas of the market that recovered so strongly yeah. at the end of last week is going to be a good leading indicator as to which way we break. I was just looking at the Russell uh, Weiss as Joe was talking because it's given back about one and a quarter percent today. I mean, it was such a huge winner last week, uh, up more than six percent. You just don't see that nope. uh, every day, every week, every year. I mean, it was a big move. Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley, We'll keep an open mind, he says, but the move thus far looks more like a bear market rally than the start of an sustain, a sustained upswing, particularly in light of weaker earnings revisions and macro data. You want to comment on that? Look, um, well, no secret. Mike's been bearish for, for a while now, and uh, I've been mostly in his camp. Um, we don't know. Last week was an easy week, and it was an easy week because of just how quickly bond yields fell off. So it was going to bring a lot of people in worried that were either short or sitting in a lot of cash. Uh, so last week was actually not even in retrospect. At the time, it was a great market trade. Joe and I talked about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now it's a little tougher because you've had the reset yields. Yields are now backing up today, but the market's holding it. What are we rallying for? Why, why, why do we rally that much? Is it because, we rally, is it because the economy is slowing but yeah. not crashing? A, a and, combination and of events. It was the perfect 
perfect storm positively for markets to rally, yeah. which was that you had a less hawkish, I wouldn't go so far as say dovish. No, he was less hawkish, Powell, though. Less hawkish, right, less hawkish. which was expected, but it was ratified because Powell has surprises before yeah. when people expect him to be this way, and he finally delivered on it. Then you had a weakening of the of the data coming out, jobs number, inflation numbers, et cetera, but not weak enough to say that the economy is definitively heading to a recession. But see, like Mike Wilson, for example, is like a good, good point right. on, on this. Um, what he sees as a decided negative, right? right? The bears see this as negative, macro slowing. Right. Macro data is weak. Yep. Where the bulls would say, yeah, so it's still pretty good. And as long as it remains pretty good and not horrible, that's the definition of what pretty we good, want. Right. The, here's the difference. The difference is that the bears are really, in my belief, well, the bulls may say they're doing this, but they're not. The bears are looking forward and they're saying, okay, we're finally seeing the hits of the economy from the massive tightening cycle. So we don't know why it didn't happen before, but it's happening yeah, now. But the bears were looking at the bears have been singing the same look forward tune for the last year. Granted, granted. recession's coming. Recession's granted. here. Recession's next week. Granted, but they but for the last year, look, they haven't been entirely wrong. The bulls haven't been entirely right. If you weren't in those six, seven stocks, you know, you really didn't make money. As a matter of fact, if you were in sectors that were reliant upon the economy, like industrials or some of the other names, you lost some good money. So the so it's not as if the bears were so wrong. They no. weren't. In a market that goes up 80% of the time, I would tell you that if you handicapped it, the bears were dead right and the bulls were wrong. So aside from those seven stocks, now here we are, the data is finally going the bear's direction. It's definitely slowing down. We're seeing that across all sectors, across almost all data reports, with the exception of the anomaly in retail sales a few weeks ago. And so that's what the bear case is. And if you have that case with high rates and multiples are still too high, so they've got to reset. But what, what if, Bryn, were not as late cycle as the bears would have you believe? And... Uh the whole thing was just different this time. Everything was different this time relative to what history tells you should happen when the Fed raises rates to the degree they did in the speed of time in which they did it. That, that's exactly right. I mean, if you go back to the history of the Fed, the Fed has only been able to engineer a soft landing, meaning they raise rates and you don't go into a recession around 10 percent of the time. So if we went to this really big tightening cycle. I was in the camp of, of course, we're going to slow down. Of course, you go into a recession. Of course, we're late stage, because that's what all of the history will tell you. But I will say where this time feels incredibly different, I've talked about this, Jim's talked about this, is the wall of fiscal stimulus that is still working its way through the economy. And I think that you can't discount that. And I think that's without that fiscal stimulus from the American Recovery Act, from the Inflation Reduction Act, I think we would be in a very different place. Sure. But this is where we are. And of course so that, we would, that's, but we're so that's not. where, like, I, right, right. And so when I read Mike Wilson's notes, I think what he says about we're late stage, you know, buy that defensive playbook where he says barbell, defensive names, which would be staples, utilities, health cares, with industrials and energy. That trade hasn't worked so far. And in fact, in fact, you know, utilities um, and staples have done, you know, quite poorly this year. And so I think investors need to be open that we are in this like uncharted water. And so I think that looking at last week, you know, we went from to put some context on, on Joe's about oversold. 
we went from only about 10% of stocks were over their 10-day moving average to now 90% are over their 10-day moving average. And so as it goes to the rest of the year, I still think seasonality, that's not fake, it's a real thing. Seasonality continues to play out and we grind higher. But I think if you tried to time the market and you missed last week, this is why you should stay invested, because if you missed last week, you missed a really nice move, really across asset classes. Your question, Joe, is if you think that the market has legs, if you think this rally uh, has a little more to it, even if we, you know, you suggest we went from oversold to overbought, you know, in literally five minutes, where do you want to be? We owe industrials today, look at Caterpillar, down. Do you want to, again, I go to the premise of, why are we rallying? Well, if you think we're rallying because the macro data is slowing, which is exactly what the Fed needs to happen, yeah. but the macro data can slow and you can still have a slow and steady economy rather than a dormant dead stop economy, which, which nobody wants. Do you want to buy industrials? You want to buy industrials. Let's start with that first. You own Caterpillar and the T. I, I, I do. So let's put some context to that. Why would you want to buy industrials? You would want to buy industrials if you believe that industrials will benefit, number one, from the positive impact of the infrastructure bill, and in addition to that, what's the market been pricing in over the last several days? The market looking into 2024 now sees 100 basis points of rate cuts from the Federal Reserve. It's pulled forward the first rate cut from July into June. So that's, that's going to benefit the cyclical trade, which has underperformed so far year to date. I question somewhat if that's the strategy that you want to implement, because at that, the market could very easily, Scott, begin to price out those rate cuts in 2024. So I think you have to be very tactical in the industrial sector. Yes, yes, the strategy is long caterpillar. I'll say this, it's hanging by a thread when you're looking at it from the perspective of where is it in terms of price and momentum but itself. But I mean, you just had a chance to rebalance the portfolio and you didn't kick this out. Thread didn't break. It stayed in. Thread didn't break. Thread didn't snap. Still hanging by a thread. I still believe the right place to be is to stay up in, in quality and to lean towards the mega caps because I think the mega caps, they are not sensitive to, okay, what are we pricing in? What are we pricing out as far as Fed rate cuts, Fed rate hikes in 2024? See, we do have a trade alert on this because uh, Bill Baruch, uh, investment committee member, joins us now. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming on. You bought more Caterpillar, in fact, um, and you bought more Wabtech. Let's talk about those first before we get to the sell. Why Cat? Caterpillar, it didn't react well to earnings because of the declining backlog, but it was a good earnings report for that quarter. And as Joe said, it's, it's hanging by a thread. What I'm seeing from my, my levels and, and the uptrend is still intact. And the strong close last week, I think, is going to be uh, provide some momentum. Looking at 220, 230. But think about the infrastructure spending, the delays in the in, uh, Re Inflation Reduction Act emerging markets that are going to be spending more money, and then the onshoring here in the U.S. I think there's just a number of tailwinds as we look to the quarters ahead uh, that this, this name should perform. Let's not forget, we're just one quarter removed that it set a record high after a strong report. So I think in the coming months, we'll see it bounce back pretty well. All right. So you're playing to be a little early, maybe, uh, or, you know, not pay so much attention to any of the, the macro data, thinking more big picture. Wabtech, W-A-B, why? I mean, they're in the locomotive space and freight and rails for passengers and freight. And 
you know, I, I think that's just a terrific place to be. And 60% of the revenues, you know, cover their or 60 reoccurring revenues cover 60% of their profits. I think that's a really nice thing to look at, especially if we go through, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a slowdown. Although I don't think we'll have a hard landing, I think we'll be soft or really no landing at all. So I, I do want to add to, to some momentum here. Um, the, the report there was pretty good over to about two weeks ago, and it brought it out of the gutter. So again, I think some strong momentum. It's a place to be. And I mean, if you look at any place that needs infrastructure uh, rebuilding and, and, and continue uh, investment is the locomotive space. So I think that's I think that's really a great. But this is a three part play uh, as well. Yeah, well, you sold RTX. Is that taking advantage of a, a stock that popped? It was up five percent and it, last week and it's up almost 19 percent in a month. Yeah, so that's the part of the three-part play here, taking uh, RTX off the table and putting that cash to work and concentrating that in industrials. Remember, go back to the middle of the summer, it fell out with the Pratt & Whitney, their engine defect. The stock was down as much as 30%. It bounced back after earnings. It had a $10 billion repurchase. So we've come back. It's only down about 15% from where it was in the summer. So I'm using that as an opportunity to take a step back here. I mean, really, at the end of the day, I mean, look at the geopolitics. I mean, this is we're in a knife's edge in any any sharper than than where we were since the Cold War. And RTX has really underperformed. So I want to get out of that stock and, and watch it for a bit and concentrate on the two names that I like the most right now in the industrial industrial space. That's Caterpillar uh, and Wabtech. Okay, good stuff. Bill, thank you. We'll see you soon. Bill Baruch with a trade alert for us. All right, so we talked industrials. Now, Bryn, let's talk banks. Um, Goldman is a lagger today thank out of you. the Dow. Uh, the KBE, best week since November of 2020. The KRE, regionals, best week since November of 20 also. What about the banks here? I mean, has any, talking about the regional banks, has anyone made any money on the regionals, you know, since SVB pit failed? I mean, I see so many of the na these names are still at those depressed levels. Yes, they rallied last week. But here's what you want to think. Regional banks are what? Very highly sensitive to the U.S. economy. Is the economy slowing? Most likely. Are deposits increasing at the banks? No. Are loans increasing at the banks? Regional banks, no. And is the, is the regulatory environment getting easier or worse? Probably worse. And so I think also with the come up, comeuppance of private credit really stepping in to do a lot of these loans that the regional banks used to do, I still think that from a, an ETF, from across the board, it's too early to buy these banks. I still think too many of them don't have a catalyst outside of valuations, which is never a good catalyst to make a stock go higher. So I think you want to be patient and wait till next year. Unless, Weiss, you say, well, Bill, Bill Gross is on to something because he called the bottom in the regionals last Thursday, said he's buying Truist and Citizens, Key Corp, uh, among others. What, what do you think about that call and this timing? I mean, what do you... You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna buy the regionals, when when are you gonna buy them? If not now, not now. Uh, I don't think the problems are fully reflect the ongoing problems. Let's not forget they own the commercial real estate. The big banks don't. Bryn pointed out all the headwinds, and I think those headwinds are fully engaged and fully enforced. So you do not do you not agree with Bill Gross? I, I don't agree with him. I, I I think it was a trade. I mean, how could you not buy them, right? With when when you saw rates come down. I traded cat and deer very, very well last week on the, for the same reasons. I'm not ready to buy either. I like both companies, but to me, they're no different than regional banks. The problems are there. Commercial real estate, it's there. I mean, the issues are there. We haven't seen them have to take the write downs that they will have to take going over the next year. So it's really just starting. So why own them? 
when you can own, uh, Goldman's going to recover before the regional banks. It's not going to have the same headwinds. Goldman's getting rid of its problems. Morgan Stanley's underperformed Goldman this year. Yeah. I'd add some more. I'd buy Morgan Stanley at some point before I bought the regional banks. I just don't see the reason to be a hero when you just don't know what the issues are going to be. There's no there's no reward to it versus the reward you can get. In I the know, others. but it's like one thing to be a hero, and it's another thing. I'm not suggesting that you're right. necessarily doing this. It's another to be crying a zero, you know, and everybody all negative on the regional banks for for the last I don't know year about commercial real estate problems that we just haven't seen really. But they will. But, the, but the maybe call, they won't be as bad as people think they the, will. The call was never that that the blow up in commercial real estate is happening today. That was never the case. Even though we've seen big firms, whether it's whether it's Brookfield or Blackstone, walk away from properties, just turn the keys and others as well. The call was never it's happening today. It's crushing today. No, the call has always been over the next couple of years is a massive refinancing bubble, and it's not going to get done with rates where they are. They just don't make economic sense. Unless you think the economy's going to remain just strong enough. Rates are going to come down. KBW upgrades Key Corp today to outperform. Price target to 15 from 12 and a half. No, I'm not there. And I, I really agree with everything uh, Stephen's saying in his analysis. I think he's spot on. I think it's about risk management. I think the impediment for growth when you're looking at money center banks and for regional banks is just so overwhelmingly. And if you have that impediment for growth, you ask yourself, where, where does the organic growth come from? Now, I know we talk a lot, we say financial sector, so we automatically think about banks and regional banks, but there are fair alternatives within the financial sector. The obvious ones are Visa, MasterCard, but there are asset managers. There's TradeWeb, which is ticker symbol TW. There's Apollo, which is ticker symbol APO. Brown and Brown is another uh, name that you could own. So there's other places within the financial sector you can go. And, and I think from the risk management perspective, I can't find any other sector that has the obstacles that this sector has in front of it, from commercial real estate to the effect of the economy, to the state of the consumer, to lending overall, and now the growth of private credit. So Bank of America upgraded Joe today to market perform. That was from underperform at KBW. Uh, which we said also made the call on, on KeyCorp. You, this not is one of the names to, you sold. Yes, that, and that's, that's not a name I'm ready go, to go back and buy. The first name that I will go back into would be Morgan Stanley. I agree with you, Stephen. I think that's the one franchise that will recover quickly. All right, energy, right? Let's tick the box. Industrials to banks. Let's talk energy, Bryn, because oil had its first back-to-back -back week, weekly losses since August. WTI is now at 82 what do we do with the energy trade, which was the worst performing sector in the month of October, down 6%. It's also the biggest laggard month to date. Yeah, I mean, year-to-date, it depends what you own. You have a Diamondback up about 18, a Devon down around 25. I think you, you stick with this trade because, number one, you have these, like, structural, long-term, secular catalysts, as well as shorter-term. Saudi came out and said they're going to confirm the cuts. And I think $80, $75 to $90 oil, Scott, these companies have tremendous free cash flow yield. And what does that do? That gives you optionality. You can do M&A, you can do dividends, you can do buybacks. You have so much optionality in these companies. They have really strong balance sheets. So I know this year has been a letdown versus 2022 and 2021, which were just ban you know bumper crop years for the energy sector. But I think going into next year, these companies continue to look have some of the best balance sheets actually of all the sectors. So I'm definitely going to stay along the sector, and I think better times are ahead. Joe, the Joe T has 16 energy positions. It does. You just increased your exposure and your rebalance. We did. 
12.8% now. Um, I've said that this quarter is the make or break quarter. We're coming up on the winter season, so that's going to obviously have a fundamental impact not only on oil, but natural gas as well. Got off struggled. lucky last winter, remember? Last All the, the, the gloom and doom about where natural gas prices were going to go because of the cold weather, uh, particularly over in Europe. I mean, that's one thing that helped Europe avoid uh, you know, a recession that many people said was happening. Without, without question. Um, my, my intuitive sense says that there needs to be a shakeout in positioning. In, in energy, in oil, in the ownership of the sector before we see what everyone sees, which is the expected rebound and outperformance, the style of which it had in 2022 and obviously not having in 2023. All right, let's switch now to mega caps. Why some starting with you. See the gains over the last week? Yeah. I mean, stock by stock. Microsoft up 6% in a week, okay? Apple, which, you know, the chart looked terrible. There was concern by you and others going into earnings. I wouldn't, you know, you weren't looking for earnings to be all that special. They were good enough. I mean, the stock is back near 180, up 5% in a week. What do we do with this group now? Look, I still think it's a place to be for idiosyncratic reasons for each stock. So um, Microsoft actually added to last week. So it's, it's a very sizable position. Last week wasn't just market related. They did launch their, uh, you know, their AI product, 30 bucks a month. Who's not going to do it, right? And they will keep doing that. Uh, news the week before was Amazon signing a billion-dollar contract to use Microsoft's tools in the cloud. Think about that. A billion dollars over 10 years with your primary competitor in the cloud. So the momentum continues there. To me, it's a much safer bet and a much more enduring bet than NVIDIA. In terms of meta, it, it's the cheapest mega there is, and things are going well. Why is it a much safer bet than NVIDIA, which is clearly, you know, monetizing AI uh, in a very select way, like, okay, maybe Microsoft right. is too, but there aren't that many that are already monetizing monetizing that. I'm talking long-term. Look, NVIDIA is a great you're company. Not gonna, you're great not positive CEO. on NVIDIA long-term? Uh, not at this valuation, no. I'm not. I think the valuation reset somewhat. Look, well, the got, valuation already did reset lower. Uh, not enough. Not enough. You still have it. So, at the end of the day, it's a semiconductor company. So and you right don't the, think they can sustain the growth rate? Uh, no. Okay. No, I Brand, don't. You, gotta, you don't take the other but, side But let that? me finish. The oh, competition, hold on, I'm sorry. The competition's yeah. heating up. Go ahead, you, I'm sorry. You've got every mega cap company that's, that's seeking to, to create the same type of chip for GPUs as NVIDIA. You also have, uh, well, we don't know what you have in terms of double ordering. So a high-quality company, it should hold it. I think the quarter, I'd be shocked if the quarter didn't give you more of what the last few quarters were. The last quarter in particular didn't give you the same pop as the quarter before, nor should it, because revenues were up 50%. So I like it here. I just prefer to play Microsoft. Okay, there's the value. There's a forward PE of 34. Uh, which was, I feel like it was double that. It was like, it was. yeah, it was. A couple quarters ago. Yeah. Bryn, what about NVIDIA? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the key phrase that Steve said is these other mega caps are seeking to recreate. Seeking is in the future. It's like I listen to all the calls, okay, from AMD to Apple to Microsoft. NVIDIA is still in the pole position. So I feel that this next quarter, I think they're going to crush earnings. I do think there'll be at some point in 20, maybe 2024, where, I mean, China is 25%, so we'll have to deal with that. 
But I think that to think that all these other companies are just going to level up and catch up to what NVIDIA is doing, because guess what? NVIDIA is not stopping. Jensen and team continuing to innovate. So I just think it's a great company. It's Microsoft and NVIDIA, to me, are the most purest way to play this secular trend in AI. And I believe it when Jensen says, over the next decade, we think there's going to be a trillion dollar spend converting the CPUs and the data centers to GPUs. Now, that's a decade, not a quarter. And so I think NVIDIA has been very volatile. But if you've been an investor long term, you've made so much money and they've compounded well. So I'm selling calls against it. So just on Friday, I sold 500, the 500 January calls, because I do think in the short term, 400 to 500 is a stretch. And so I think that move to 444 that it made on Friday was a good opportunity to sell some calls and collect about $19 worth of premium. All right, Mark, good stuff. Let's take a first break here. Uh, up next, our call of the day, it's a travel stock just called Best in Breed. Joe owns it, we trade it, we'll do it next. And later, we have a halftime exclusive, a new golf league teeing off in 2024 with some of the PGA Tours, best of the best. Rory McIlroy, among them, he joins us coming up, along with Fenway Sports Group Chairman Tom Werner. We'll talk about that league, their new team, the latest on Live PGA Tour. We've got a lot to talk to them about. We'll do it coming up. We're back in two. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. We're back on the halftime report. Call of the day, booking holdings. Why? Because D.A. Davidson, Joe, says it's, quote, best of breed. Okay. You have that in the T along with Expedia. Okay. First, on booking holdings, the positive is, from a technical perspective, the stock held the 200-day moving average after earnings. Now, nine analysts changed the price target. Collectively, the average was lowering it by 2.5%. I still believe Expedia is probably the right place to be for online travel. I know we're in both places and we'll maintain that position, but just fundamentally observing the environment for each one of these stocks, the significant international exposure that Booking Holding has places it where there's more concern surrounding the horrific events in the Middle East and a pullback, therefore, of travel. You also have Airbnb, Delta, Marriott, United. Yep. You think you have too much exposure to, to travel? You concerned about that? Good, good question. Consumer discretionary exposure came down significantly in the most uh, in the in the recent rebalance. So we, we recognize the weakening consumer itself. Um, the, the the lag effect, if you would, 
from Fed policy has not really impacted the travel segment just yet. So that's why the momentum element is maintaining these stocks within the strategy. If there's a further deterioration because of the lag effects, then I think quickly to the sidelines is where we would move. All right, let's get the headlines now with Silvana Hanau. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Scott. Good morning. Well, good afternoon. Former President Donald Trump is back on the stand in his civil fraud trial. Trump testified that he thought several valuations of his properties were too high, including his Trump Tower triplex. Now, he also referred to a disclaimer clause in the company's financial statement saying, if there is a mistake, you don't get sued by the attorney general's office. The four former Memphis police officers charged with fatally beating Tyree Nichols will head to trial in August. August. All four defendants have pleaded not guilty to second-degree murder. A fifth officer in the case pleaded guilty last week to federal charges of excessive force and obstruction of justice as part of a larger deal with prosecutors. And Mark Zuckerberg had knee surgery this weekend after his latest martial arts sparring session. The Meta Platform CEO posted a photo lying in a hospital bed with his left knee in a brace. He wrote that he tore one of his ligaments while training for a fight early next year, Scott. All right, Silvana, thank you. Silvana had now coming up, top dividend plays. We'll tell you where you can find the best opportunities right now in the ETF space. We'll bring you them in today's ETF Edge, and we'll do it in two minutes. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. All right, welcome back. Let's get over to Leslie Picker now, who has today's ETF Edge. Hey, Les. Hey, Scott. Thank you so much, and welcome to the ETF Edge, everybody, your go-to place for everything exchange-traded funds. I'm your host today, Leslie Picker, filling in for Bob Pisani. After a miserable October, investors have awakened to a much sunnier setup in November. The good news is stocks are cheaper, earnings are strong, and bond yields have stabilized somewhat, but the macro backdrop still hangs heavy with uncertainty around the Middle East conflict, higher for longer rates, and pockets of renewed recessionary fears as the Fed continues to bank on below-trend growth to bring down inflation. So with so many concerns still in the mix, it's No wonder dividend plays are still the order of the day for many asset allocators looking for reliable, consistent returns. So what's the story ahead for November? Joining me to talk more about this, Dave Mazza is the chief strategy officer at Roundhill Investments. He just launched a brand new dividend ETF called the Dividend Monarchs ETF, ticker KNGS, and Todd Rosenbluth, head of research at Vetify. Thank you both for being here. Uh, Dave, tell us more about your new fund. You've been referring to these picks as the recession kings. What's in the fund and why now? Yeah, that's right. The Kings ETF, ticker KNGS, is focused on companies that have consistently increased their dividends for at least 50 years each and every year. So when we're talking to investors, particularly in these times of uncertainty, as you mentioned, we're looking for consistency and looking for resiliency. And the companies that they'll they'll find in the King's ETF 
have done that. They've been through wars. They most recently were through a global pandemic, financial crisis, these would have you. And they've delivered for shareholders year in and year out and allow investors to get access to greater certainty when it comes to the income potential and also the opportunities for total return. <laughs> Lots of royalty uh, attributes there. Um, Todd, ETFs becoming increasingly plentiful. A uh, lot of competition out there now. So how does this one compare to others on the market? And do you see continued strong interest? There's a lot of dividend growth ETFs that are out there. The Spider S&P Dividend ETF, SDY, is perhaps the flagship. It focuses on companies that have 20-plus years of dividend growth. So while as someone who's closer to 50 than I am 20, I'm excited that there's another ETF that is out there that, that rewards for age. SDY has more exposure to technology and financial stocks than the King's ETF. There's also ETFs that focus on higher dividend yields. So SDOG, which is an Alp sector dividend dogs, it weights companies across all of the sectors of the broader market, technology, financials, healthcare, consumer staples, what have you, and looks at the highest dividend yielding stocks. So there's a lot of dividend ETFs for advisors and investors to consider, and they just need to do their homework to look inside. Perhaps a little bit of Game of Thrones for the ETF world. Thank you both very much. Uh, coming up, we'll have more on dividends with uh, Dave. Plus, we'll be joined by John Mayer from Global X to break down a few other top thematic trends to watch in November. That's all ahead at 1.10 p.m. Eastern on ETF edge.cnbc.com. Scott, I will send it back over to you. All right, Leslie, appreciate that. Leslie Picker, up next, we go live to Boston for a halftime exclusive today. PGA Tour star Rory McIlroy is standing by with Fenway Sports Group chairman Tom Warner talking to New Golf League. Their team in that set to launch in January. We're back with Rory and Tom right after this. Welcome back. The new TGL Golf League, co-founded by Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy, tees off in January with six teams in select cities across the United States. One of those in Boston, headlined by Mr. McIlroy. The team's owner is the Fenway Sports Group. We're joined now by the founder and chairman of Fenway, Tom Werner, along with Rory McIlroy. Should note as well, NBC Sports will be a founding partner of the Boston Common team. Gentlemen, welcome. It's good to see you guys. Good to see you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Tom, I'll begin with you. What was the draw here for, for Fenway, which, which also comes, I believe, if I have this right, with an equity stake in the league itself? Well, we feel very strongly that this is a terrific idea. It's innovative. It fuses traditional golf with, uh, with uh, simulated golf. And, you know, one of the things that I learned during this process is as many people played indoor golf this last year, as traditional grass golf and we're being partnered with Rory who is a transcendent figure in golf and, a, and an idea that I think will be resonant not just with traditional golfers but with a lot of new golfers. So, so Rory help us understand the, the golf fans out there what exactly viewers are going to get uh, when they tune in this product on, on TV what should I expect? Yeah so I think um I think whenever it's been branded as as simulated or simulator golf, I think that does it a bit of a disservice. It's going to be a lot more than that. Uh, I think, as as Tom said, we're trying to 
bring the game of golf into the, into the 21st century. You know, I think a lot of people will um, connect with the fact that we're playing indoors. It'll look nothing like traditional golf. It'll look more like a, an NBA game, hopefully, and sort of trying to give people in the arena that, that courtside experience. Um, you know, we're going to be playing in a, in, a, in a simulator screen, I guess, but it's going to be 60 feet high by 60 feet wide. And, um, and I think just to give more of an insight, you know, it's going to be team play. You're going to have the players interact again, uh, amongst each other a lot more. You're going to try to take some elements from other sports into, into this team play, so shot clocks and timeouts and things that we don't tradi traditionally have in golf, and really just trying to bring, bring the game to a different demographic, different demographic, whether that be other sports fans or, or fans that um, you know, aren't into golf and tune in on a, on a Monday night in prime time, and, uh, and you know, hopefully we, we, can, uh, we can have it speak to them and, and they like it, and, uh, and we go from there. But uh, you know, I, I hope that everyone's excited about it as I am, because I think it could be a really cool thing for our game. So, Tom, we have five of the six teams uh, already filled. Atlanta, Boston, L.A., New York, San Francisco. We're expecting one more. Do you know when we should expect that and how much these franchises cost? Um, I don't really want to get into the financials, but uh, I think shortly the other teams will be announced. But we feel excited because of the connection that, that Rory and, and his team have to Boston, that uh, we're going to create rivalries that uh, will be resonant for, uh, for most sports fans. You know, I'd, I'd like to switch our attention, if, if I could, uh, Tom, with you first, because it's been reported recently that Fenway Sports Group recently made a large bid to invest in the PGA Tour. We know about the framework agreement, obviously, uh, that exists now between the Saudi PIF and, and the PGA Tour. Of course, that story was broken by my colleague David Faber um, here. Can you confirm, in fact, that that bid was made by, by Fenway Sports um, and how much it was for? Well, we don't really like to talk about things that are uh, in discussion. And really, we're here to talk about uh, tomorrow golf and this team. And anything that we can do to help Rory or the PGA, we're happy to offer our support. Can, can you offer up what kind of conversations you may have had with the, the PGA Tour? I mean, there's considerable interest in this story. Um, we followed it closely again since it was broken first on, the, on this very network. What, what are you willing to say about the interest that Fenway Group might have uh, in the future of the PGA Tour? Well, we, we just want to offer our support uh, creatively to uh, any of the ideas that uh, are, are welling up. But it's really up to the players to decide the direction they want to go. Yeah. You'll confirm, though, that there was a bid made, at the very least, by Fenway? <laughs> I confirm that we've had conversations. Okay. And, Rory, I mean, you're, you're a, a player director, um, so you're central to where all of this obviously goes from here. Your reaction now to the fact that multiple bids uh, have been made and what the procedure might look like from here on to see which one is accepted. Yeah, so I think one of the great things is there's a lot of interest in golf and in professional golf right now. And, um, you know, the golf has never been in, in a stronger shape or, or in a healthier place. So um, I sort of tell all my colleagues, it's never been, there's never been a better time to be a professional golfer. Um, you know, the, the players do have the, the majority of um, the votes on the board. So as Tom said, the, the players will decide um, the direction that the tour goes. and. Um, you know, we're going through that process right now, and 
you know, hopefully we'll have more to report here in, in the next couple of months. I mean, you've obviously been the most outspoken of, of your colleagues, if you will, uh, in the future of the tour. And um, the, the separate nature of Live versus PGA, um, if in fact one of these bids is accepted, it would likely mean we're, we're going to stay to the status quo being Live against the PGA Tour. Is, is that an environment that you'd prefer over the companies coming together? No. No, I would prefer if, if I feel like we've got a fractured competitive landscape right now, and I would prefer if everyone sort of got back into the same boat. I think that's the best thing for golf. So, you know, I would hope when we go through this this process, um, you know, PIF are the ones that are that are involved in the framework agreement. Obviously, there's been other suitors that have been involved in, and offering their services and their help. Um, but hopefully when, when this is all said and done, I, I sincerely hope that the PIF are involved and we can bring the game of golf back together. I saw, I saw a recent report, I think in the last you know, several days, of your Ryder Cup uh, colleague and, and, and teammate John Rahm, who I think was expected to participate in TGL, but now says he won't. And then that led to speculation that he may be uh, interested in leaving the PGA Tour for live. What do you know? Uh, I spoke to John a couple of days ago. Um, I would be very, very surprised if, if that were to happen. Um, you know, John lives in Arizona. The first season of TGL uh, is going to be played in Florida, and he just didn't feel like he could give the commitment that, that he needed to, to help the league and help his team. Um, but we're already in discussions on, on how we, we're going to try to make it work for him for season two. So, um, you know, it's obviously a lot of speculation, but... Uh, I'm pretty confident that, that John's a PGA Tour player and, and will remain one. Speculation's the word I, I was just going to use. I guess we can put that speculation to bed. Uh, Tom, back to you. Um, you guys sort of both uh, you know, discussed this when we were talking about this new, this new golf league. Um, it's, and you know media as well as anybody. I mean, it's a, it's a fractured, it's a scattered landscape for you know, new sports leagues. Uh, Padel, Pickleball, and the, and the like are all vying for Ooh. eyeballs. Um, how do you think about that in the way that you'd like this to stand out in a more crowded field? Well, I love the idea. As, as Rory said, it's team golf, which is fun. It's the best golfers in the world will be playing in this league in a new format. It's a primetime entertainment event, and I think it's going to make some noise. Well, we're excited about it. We'll see it teeing off in January. Gentlemen, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the program. Thank you for having us. Thank All right, you. it's Tom Werner uh, and, of course, Roy McElroy joining us exclusively. Up next, Mike Santoli. He'll be here with his Midday Word. Halftime's back after this. We're back. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, is here. The title of your note here is Bears on the Run. <laughs> well, after last it week. Felt like it last week. And, and the question is, look, we got the squeeze. Do you get the chase? And by squeeze, I don't just mean short squeeze. You had people feel very underinvested if the market is going to relentlessly go up, you know, 1% a day. Uh, Russell 2000 up 7.5% last week down, you know, over a percent today. So you have that kind of spillback. All the gauges were pinned to the max uh, finishing last week. Still do think you want bonds to just calm down as, as opposed to just yields come in because okay, we had the 10-year down 40 basis points in three days. 
it's up 10 today. Yeah. You know, so you still have that sense of, of an agitated market, not a lot of conviction behind some of these moves. A lot of the kind of momentum signals, the breath thrust, all the stuff people are talking about on a technical basis is better at suggesting there's a good low end than saying it's up and away from here. Well, what, what's to, to your to continue that? What's the sedative then for the market? Because yeah. earnings are done. Fed's now done for this part. You know, yeah. I guess it's the economic data. It is. It is. Can we be, can we be so, somewhat confident that we're in this decelerating mode without necessarily rushing toward a true downturn? I mean, that's the needle that I think pretty much sentiment wants the economic numbers to thread. You know, slower but not too slow. Let's not reaccelerate in a hurry and get the Fed back in the game. So, so far, so good. You got really oversold, as we all know. Uh, we know what time of year it is, so mm-hmm. we'll see if all that matters. Yeah, from oversold to overbought. In, in a, a hurry. Ten minutes. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like yeah. what Joe was saying, too. Yep. All right, good to see you. I'll see you all on right. Closing Dots. Mike Santoli. Final trades are next. I said earnings were done with Santoli. Not exactly. NXP. NXPI is today in overtime. I think you told me last week you're concerned about this because the auto exposure. You appreciate that I'm candid about the positions that I own, right? Yes. Okay, good. Well, so you appreciate how much I remember what you say, right? I know, and especially all the negative things, too. <laughs> you like to emphasize those. Steve and I were talking during the commercial break. I mean, it's, it's autos. I mean, that, that's the challenge. Yep. Autos are 57% of the revenue. Okay. Revenue is going to be up 5% year on year. This time last year, it was up 24% year on year. Auto demand, uh, car demand is going to weaken as we move forward in the coming quarters. So this challenges ahead for this company. All right. Uber, Weiss, tomorrow before the bell. Look, uh, the CEO has just done a fantastic job. Every single quarter he's delivering on what he said he would. It's like a double mo- year to date. Yep. The mo- momentum's still there. Uh, I, I don't see any reason, despite a weakening consumer, I don't see any reason for this to come off track. In other words, I'd expect him to report a good quarter, stock to react accordingly. Bryn, give me 15 seconds on Roblox. You own it Wednesday in overtime. Yep. I mean, market's expecting revenues to come in up 17% to $820 million. Don't forget they don't have earnings. Last quarter, they had double-digit revenues. They had double-digit bookings, daily active users. Um, but it doesn't have earnings, and so the market's kind of fickle on the name right now, but I still like it long-term. I think gaming from a social media platform has, has years and years of runway. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. We'll do final trades next. Closing bell, we have an exclusive today. Mark Lazary is going to join us, the Avenue Capital Chairman CEO. We'll talk markets, of course. And he just bought a TGL team with the Splash Brothers, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, part of that too. So we'll look forward to catching up with Mr. Lazary later on. Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern time. Hope you'll join me then. Bryn Talkington, final trade. Uh, Freeport, while EV sales are slowing in the U.S., they are not in China. We got October sales last week. 6.8 6.8 million sales in China. Copper is a key material. I like it here in the mid-30s for a buy. Okay. Weiss, which ones here are you? You man, you man look, I, I don't want to say buy a stock that's up 2% in a day, but it's down quite a bit. I added to it last week, waiting for it to firm, off, firm out after the quarter. It did, so I think this is one of the stocks we're owning. All right, Joey T. Eli Lilly pointed towards new all-time highs. All right, good stuff. Thanks, guys. See you on the closing bell. The exchange is now. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.